Thanks for asking me to share on this. Um, Father, forgive them. The first thing I noticed about this is that it starts with the word Father. And uh, I know that when Jesus, um, in a previous verse, he says, Oh God, oh God. And here he says, Father. So when I think about Father, I think about a, like a warm feeling, a trustful feeling, someone I can look up to, an endearing feeling. That reminds me that God is my Father. Um, forgive them. I think, you know, he was there to forgive the Romans, but when he says forgive them, I think that it means forgive all of us, that he was there. The reason he came here was for God to forgive us of our sins, to shed his blood, forgive our sins. And that is what I would aspire to do, forgive them. Um, but that to me just means that um, he said it to the Romans, but he spoke to all of us. And I think it's just very powerful that it starts with Father because he's all of our fathers and he forgives all of us if we choose to accept his forgiveness and accept his son. So I strive personally to look at God as my father. Um, he's the head, you know, everything that the word father means. Uh, and then also looking at forgive the fact that that's why Jesus was here. Not, not just to forgive the people that were there, but to forgive all of us. And um, that's all I have. Good evening, guys. So good to be here. Thank you for the privilege. Uh, gotta bear with me a second here, guys. Okay, I had Luke 23:43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I'd like to just open with a little prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word, your truth. It's all truth. It sustains us. It's the bread of life. You said that it's not just bread that we need, but it's through your words, Lord. So I just pray that you would bless these words, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I just wanted to back up just a teeny bit to the beginning of that Luke 23, and I believe it's 36. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was also written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we, we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened in the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. When I think of these words, I think of what a perfect picture God is painting, how simple our salvation really is. It's like in these two, for me, these two lines were so good. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Verily I say unto you today, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I love it because it shows the simple free gift of salvation, truly a free gift to all sinners who believe on Jesus, that he is their redeemer. Now there's this thief on the cross. He doesn't have any time left. He's just, his life is near the end here. But he recognizes that Jesus, through through whatever, he's seen the little bit of the Herod maybe, maybe going on and knows that um, 
You know, they, ha they had a chance to set somebody free and they didn't choose Christ, but he believes that, that Christ did nothing amiss. So here he is on the cross, now on the cross. There wasn't time for the thief to get baptized and there wasn't time for him to join a church or do good works. You know, that's, that's what we do. Like we're called, we repent, we still have life, we still have breath. But that guy, he, he, he was about done. But God said, okay, you're going to come with me in paradise. So it's, it's so powerful to know that even if you didn't have time, this is kind of like a deathbed confession, which we hear about a lot of times. And uh, I, I looked at it different. I've done this one before, and I don't think I looked at it that way. So I hope that I'm showing you something a little different. So he wasn't able to join a church, do good works, give tithes, offerings. He wasn't going to repay God for, for dying in his place, just as we can't. We can't repay because Christ died to redeem us back to himself, back to God. And he couldn't earn this, just as we can't earn it. It's a free gift to us because Christ has already paid the price. I just wanted to share a little bit of some of my favorite scriptures. I, that's kind of like where I left that, but... But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Hebrews eleven six, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Acts 2, 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Psalm 21, 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine, thine heart. Okay, wait on the Lord. Isaiah 26, 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because, because he trusts in thee. This one kind of little spoke to me, too. I, I brought this in because if you're hanging on a cross next to Christ, he's the Lord. You're a sinner, maybe even a murderer. I read into some scriptures. I know he, I think he may have even been a murderer, but he wasn't going to be able to save himself, but Christ was offering him that, that perfect peace even right there because he trusted in, in him. So trust in the Lord forever and the Lord Jehovah in his everlasting strength. The way of the just is upright and the most upright. going over so I'm just going to skip through a couple things Psalm 46 God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble therefore will not we fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea though the waters thereof roar and be troubled though the mountains Shake with swelling, there of Selah. There is a river, streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles, the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and shall, and that right early. Just, I'm going to leave you with one more that we all know. And love, and you can say it with me if you want. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. It says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. 
Jesus was in such pain and agony, but yet he was still uh, thinking and caring about those around him, about uh, both his mother and both his loved disciple, who is said to be John. His main focus wasn't just their um, physical well-being, it was also their spiritual health. And I think that's one of the reasons why he chose John to be the caretaker for his mother and for his mother to be the caretaker of John. Um, because as we know, he did have other siblings um, that were you know, his half-brothers um, that were also fathered by uh, Joseph, but he did not entrust uh, Mary to them. And also... Uh, in one of his final set of words, he bonded his mother and John together. They were already a family in Christ, and now they would become a household family. This passage shows just how much Christ truly cares about everyone and every detail, and like tiny detail, tiny aspect in all of our lives. At his worst time, he can still focus on two individuals in their lives after his own parting. Don't ever feel that Christ doesn't care about every aspect of your life because if he can care about his mother and his disciples and his friends at the moment of his death, he can still care about us now in his infinite wisdom up in heaven. I think it also shows that Christ has great expectations for his trusted followers. To John, this was a reward. He made a companion for life, someone to assist him and to care for him as a son. And for Mary, it was also a reward. She gained a son and someone to care for her for the rest of her life. <clears throat> so us as followers of, as, uh, us, as followers of Christ, uh, we can expect both great rewards and responsibilities on both earth and in heaven. Some of our responsibilities now, uh, a few important ones, share the gospel, educate others on the gospel, be charitable, and of course there's many others. And our rewards, that's something for you guys to reflect on yourselves. Um, maybe one of the greatest of all is seeing a friend or someone close come to Christ. But I'll leave you with that reflection on uh, into your own lives and what Christ has rewarded you with. Okay? Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you, uh, Pastor Bob, for giving me the opportunity for the second time in 15 or 16 years since me and Jane's been back to the church to, uh, to talk. Um, um, I actually was a member of the church when I was like eight years old. I want to chat with you just for a minute uh, before I get into the topic. Um, as a kid, child, I was born here on Dunker Church Road, and uh, uh, my father owned a dairy farm, and we used to dam the brook up down here for uh, Reverend Landis to do his, uh, his uh, baptisms. My father used to send us to church every Sunday. He used to send us, he didn't go with us, but he sent us here. And uh, we used to do that faithfully. We had three sets of clothes, one for milking, and one for going to school, and one to go to church. One Sunday, Murph decided that he wasn't going to go to church. So I took a walk up. There's a little store up the, up the uh, road here. His name was Fanny's. Uh, the little short old woman used to own it. Used to be able to get ice cream there, and unfortunately, cigarettes. So uh, my first pack of cigarettes was bought at Fanny's store, and it was a Paul Mall cigarette. You older people will probably remember Paul Mall cigarettes. But anyway, I bought two packs of cigarettes, and on the way home, I smoked a couple, smoked a couple of them. And um, when I got home, my father said, I was church today. Oh, that was great. You know, I don't exactly remember the exact words that I told him. But anyway, pretty soon he came out with... Um, well, Fanny called me on the phone and said you was there and bought two packs of cigarettes. 
So uh, I don't really want to get into the details of the pain, but I can remember it well. My second pain that I can remember real well was um, I had some uh, basal cell cancer on my body, and I had several um, operations done. But the worst one, I can never remember the most painful thing I've ever had in my life. And I, you know, at my age, I've had a lot of painful things. So, but anyway, when the uh, surgeon uh, did the operation, I had one right on the tip of my nose. And he gives me the Novocaine needle. He said, this is going to hurt a little bit. Well, that was a little under-exaggerated because I almost fell off the chair. It was mostly, I don't know if you ever got a, a, a needle in your nose, but that is painful. But, I, you know, that, that's our kind of pain. What I'd like to do is, uh, if you would, along with me, is, is open your Bibles to um, Matthew 27. And I'm going to, and I'm going to read... Matthew 27 through uh, Matthew 50. You get a good understanding of what real love is, which, um, you know, I had to wonder whether my father had for me or not, uh, and what God's love is, and um, what he's, his pain, what pain really is, because all the pain that we've ever had couldn't even match it. So uh, if you would read along with me, uh, Matthew 27. The soldiers assigned to the governor took Jesus into the governor's palace and got the entire brigade together for some fun. They stripped him and dressed him in a red robe. That's a pain in itself. They plated, they, they plated a crown from branches of thorn bush and set it on his head. Can you imagine that? Uh, you know, you, especially if somebody had a head like mine. You know, the, didn't have any uh, protection on it. It, it was uh, quite. Uh, uh, so anyway, they put a stick in his right hand for a scepter. Then they knelt before him in a mocking reverence. Pain. Bravo, King of Jesus, the King of the Jews. They said, Bravo. And then they spit on him and hit him over the head with the stick. And when they had all their fun. They took off his robe and put on his regular clothes, and they proceeded out for the crucifixion. Now everybody knows what the, what he did when he when he left Jericho, went into Jerusalem. Uh, you know what happened on the way, and halfway he was carrying his own cross, and he got so tired he, you know, he lost all his strength in his legs. He couldn't get up, and they had uh, they had uh, Simon. They asked Simon to pick up his cross and carry it the rest of the way. They made him carry Jesus' cross. To, uh, the the uh, Skull Hill. They offered him the mild painkiller, a mixture of wine and mirror. But when he tasted, he wouldn't drink it. If they had finished nailing him to the cross and were waiting for him to die, now think about that pain. You think you have tooth eggs bad? <laughs> and, you know, when, uh, and, and they, they wasn't uh, too easy with him, I wouldn't imagine, when they threw him on a cross either. But, you know, to take nails and nail it in the palms of your hand and then through your legs. You know, I would say that that's probably the ultimate pain you can possibly have, right? So, uh, you know, when I, it, and, uh, you know, I like to live things myself, actually uh, feel it, you know? Think about it, you know, a nail going through the palm of your hand. Uh, you know, there's no pain in the way that, that could be that bad. So, uh, you know, and, and knowing all this, it's, uh, it's just hard to take. And above us had they opposed the criminal charge against them. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Along, <clears throat> along with him, they had crucified a couple of criminals, one on the left and one on the right, of course. And the people passing by, they got in with a mockery and things like that. You bragged that you could tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And, well, if you claim to be the son of Jesus or the son of God, you know, uh, let's see what you can do. So uh, save yourself. If you're really God's son, come down off the cross and save yourself. The high priests, along with the religious scholars and leaders, are right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time, poking fun at them. He saved, he saved others. He can't save himself. King of Israel, is he? Then let him get down off that cross. 
we'll all become believers when we see that. Right? You know, it's kind of like our um, our uh, democracy now, if you want to call it democracy. You know, anybody that get, gets in our uh, political way, you know, we try to get rid of them somebody. This is what was happening with Jesus here. You know, he did all these miracle things, and uh, uh, they had nothing to show for it, but he did, so they tried to get him out of the way. So uh, we all come believers, and they all, you know, get down and off the cross, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll believe you then, uh, you know, if you can prove yourself. Even the two criminals crucified next to him, uh, it was a mockery. From, from noon to three, the whole earth was dark. Around mid-afternoon, Jesus groaned out of the depths, crying loudly, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Uh, definition of abandoned. I guess we all felt that way at one time or another, right? Just feeling alone, uh, deserted. Um, maybe leaving someone without the intentions of ever coming back. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, things to think about. Renounce, renounce turn away. Anyway, um, to go on, some bystanders who heard him, said, heard him said, he's calling Elijah. One of them ran and got a sponge soaked with sour wine and lifted it on a stick to his, so he could drink. And the other joked, don't be in such a hurry. Let's see if Elijah really comes and saves him. But Jesus, again, crying out loudly, took his last breath. So at that moment, um, of that moment of his death on the cross, he was experiencing the abundant and, abundant and despair that resulted from the outpouring of divine wrath upon the sin that he bore. He bore all our sin. Right? When he rode into Jerusalem, he, uh, he bore all our sins. We put him there. We put him to death, actually. The way I feel about it. You know, he saved me. And this is the price he paid to all who would ever believe in him. He surrendered his will to his father in order to finish these, the task for which he came to do for the world. The wonder, you know, uh, God the Father turned away from uh, God and uh, God the Son for that moment, right? Just that moment, and Jesus died—a lonely death, right for that minute. But that he had nobody. So, if you were to ask me to get that needle in my nose to save you for your sins, get it. But that's how much Jesus loved you. You can imagine what he went through compared to what I went through and what I wouldn't do for you and but he would. So that's all I got to say, and thanks for listening. So much, okay, by reading scripture on my own, because so many people who have come up and, and shared with us your. Uh, your feelings about each and every verse. It, there's things I never thought of, and I, I appreciate everybody's time and effort that they put into it. Uh, so well done, uh, servants of Christ. I have John, uh, John 19, verse 28, if I can get this to stay open. Uh, and it, his saying was, I thirst. Uh, it was his fifth saying as Jesus hung on the cross. And not only is he feeling emotionally withdrawn uh, because he's already gone through a lot of turmoil, uh, a lot of pain. It wasn't just a, uh, 
a needle in the nose, which Murph mentioned, and I'm sure it was very, very painful, and, and a whole lot more. But it wasn't only the pain, it's the darkness, the separation, uh, going even uh, without the father. He's had the father with him all this time, okay? And uh, now all of a sudden there's this separation. It's a dark time. And uh, I know it's called Good Friday, and, and for good, good reasons, because spinning the clock ahead, we can see how this is all Good Friday. But back then it wasn't good, not for those who are looking at Christ and maybe their, their hope, their future, all right? It's a very uh, dark time. Uh, and he's being separated by his father, and now he's starting to feel all this physical pain, all right? And it's all beginning to climax, and it's, it's not only dark and painful, like Murph has said, all right? Uh, and he's thirst. Oh, wow. And I, the more I dug on this, it was like more, gosh, I, I could write a whole sermon on this, okay? Because it's not only just Jesus thirsting from the agony and pain, but as I read on, maybe you'll understand. Uh, but as he stands there on the, on the cross, I'm going back to my outline because I didn't want to forget anything, but uh, he becomes like you and I, right? He is you and I. He's, he's humanity. He's, he's, he's blood, warm blood, and he's there being tortured uh, by the Romans. Uh, and as I, as I said already, you know, it's hurt and it's painful and it goes on, all right? It didn't stop and start, or start and stop in a short period of time. It went on for, for hours. It's a dark time. Uh, uh, let me see where I am. Uh, you know, one thing I wanted to point out was that uh, you know, we can really only imagine how much pain he really went through, really, because, you know, all of us probably have gone through some pain, Murphy certainly has, all right? And, uh, but, you know, but the Bible never really tells us all the real details, all right? You know, the Bible spares us from that. Uh, so I can only imagine it was a lot worse than what, you know, the Bible even outlines. And I know I've gone to some... Uh, some books that talked about the Roman crucifixions and how bad they really were. And uh, it, it really, it's just like you just want to shut down and not hear anymore because it was not a good time. Uh, it was very gruesome. But Jesus did thirst. Uh, and there was that convenient jar of wine vinegar there. So the sentry does hand it up to him on a stalk of hyssop. And, you know, and those verses, which, you know, Murph even read in another book in the Bible, are so important, so important. And you would think, you know, you breeze through and you would think, really doesn't have, you know, what does that mean? Why is that, you know, even in there? Okay, but we'll go on. Okay, well, I have it here. I forgot I did. Okay, but in Psalm 69, verse 21, it says, in my thirst, they gave me uh, vinegar to drink. This is back in the Psalms before Rome was even a city. It didn't even exist, and it's written in the Psalms at this time, all right? And you have to think about the importance. Wow, God wrote this in the Psalms a thousand years before it even happened, okay? And this is just like one verse. So the more I dug, the more I poked around, there, was, there were other verses. All this was predicted long ago, and it's just simply amazing. But... The other thing that is important that before Jesus actually states that he's thirsty, okay, uh, John mentions that Jesus cried out uh, for the drink only after knowing that everything had been finished and the scripture was fulfilled. And it's, wow, there's a connection there as well to the Old Testament. All these things were to take place before Jesus actually died on the cross, okay? Uh, so what it really comes down to is God, God had a plan. God had a plan before, you know, a long time ago. And we're here today thinking, you know, we're trying to get energized by God. But, you know, God's plan happened for all his people years ago. This is now kind of fast-forwarding everything, okay? Jesus thirsting, because they still thirst today. So let's fast-forward. We're here today, okay? Which is really what the crux of my 
message was when I came up here. But uh, in Psalm uh, 21, verse 1, uh, this is just to, uh, to give you more proof that uh, God had a plan, okay? But it states, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? And it goes on. This is the whole Psalm t uh, 22, uh, verse uh, 15, my mouth is dried up like a pot shared, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Uh, you made, you lay me in the dust of death, all right? And it goes on. To, they say, let the Lord deliver him. And Murph just read that, okay? But these are in the Psalms. Thousand years before, okay? Uh, verse 16, I think it was verse 16. Dogs surround me. They pierce my hands and my feet. You know what I was going to do when I thought it was kind of, I didn't want to be gruesome. I, I didn't, you know, but, you know, the spikes that they used to hang them on the cross are bigger than you think. They're not nails. They're spikes, and they're big, all right? And they're meant and intended to hang heavy loads, all right? And they bang these into them. It's, it's not a nice thing, but as I said, Really, my outcome is not to linger in that because there's a message in all of these, okay, that comes out of uh, Jesus hanging on the cross, okay? There's a message, okay? Uh, but Psalm 22 does go out and describes, you know, really uh, Jesus' death way, way before. But the good thing is, I'll, I'll just fill you in, uh, there's, there's hope at the end of it, okay? And if those who don't know uh, Psalm 22, just go in and read it. Right, uh, so you have to ask, well, why did God allow this to happen in the first place? Okay, why couldn't He have just stopped it? I mean, doesn't I asked the question, why couldn't He have just stopped it? Okay, and the thing of it is, He could have, you know, and uh, could it have been handled differently? Probably not. Not by my mind creating it. It couldn't have been handled any better. All right, but. If he saved Jesus' life, his life that he did give us would have been meaningless, all right? So he had to die. Does that make sense? Sometimes it doesn't, okay? But a man had to die before his or Jesus' life would have meaning to it. But Murph already stated it. Why? Because we're sinners. We're sinners. And because of that, okay, uh, kind of lost for words here, uh, God states that the wages of sin is what? Is death. And that's a pretty powerful statement as well. So Jesus steps up and he takes our place. And that's, that's it, okay? He takes our place. This is what we deserve. We deserve the cross, not him, okay? So what just happened? What just happened is we just got the best gift that mankind has ever known. This is it. This is the best gift. Okay? We can out go to, you know, we can go and, and appear before God and be glad. You know? Go there with a smile on our face. Not long face, but smiling. Okay? And that's, that's the difference. Okay? So when Jesus thirsts on the cross, what is it, you know, it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, but, you know, there's so many in the world today who thirst. I think there's people who may even come here and they thirst, okay? I thirst because I love hearing God's word. And sometimes I feel, you know, when I, when, the more I learn, there's other things that I tend to forget or throw out in your memory. I, I don't know if it works that way, but it, it seems like I, I need to keep reading it. But I, the thing of it is I enjoy reading it and studying it, you know. I miss Sunday, uh, I miss Sunday Bible studies, I do. Uh, uh, so you really have to wonder, there's a whole world out there, you know, they thirst, you know, and, uh, and they keep on sinning, right? As though nothing really ever happened, nothing ever changed, okay? And, uh, but we're different, we're different, we have a higher standard, God sets standard for us, okay? And uh, so what does it really mean to us? You know, God uh, died on the cross and thirst, you know, and there's a lot of different verses I can go to the Bible and look up, and there was like tons of them. We only have so much time, and uh, I just picked out one, you know, because this is something, we're all alive today, we're not in, on our graves waiting for Christ to raise us up, okay? But in Acts 20, 28, it reads, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he 
bought with his own blood. Okay? That's what I had to say. Good evening. It is finished. John 1930. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Finished. What does finished mean? Almost there? Our way there? I did it my way? No. It's entirely done, brought to a completed state. Christ came from on high. He did not have to leave heaven. But because of my sin, because of your sin, because of the sin in the world, he did have to leave heaven. So his job his task, his mission, his project at hand, as we remember today, him on the cross, is coming to an end. He spent 33 years on earth, born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothing, worked in a carpenter shop, and the last three years of his life, he was a preacher, similar to us. We're born, we live somewhere, we learn a trade, and hopefully we choose to spread God's word. He did it in 33 years. He came to show us to live the exact life that we live. Now, I don't think I was wrapped in swaddling clothes, but I know for a fact that Jesus did not sleep with his iPhone next to him. So we differ a little, same, same struggles, same temptations, same worries, same burdens. And why did he do it? Why? He could have called 10,000 angels. He did it to set an example for us, to show us the way, to show us that you can survive. You can get through it. There is something on the other side. So for Christ, tonight, as he bows his head and says, it is finished, his earthly life is over. He's completed his mission, exactly what his father had him to do. So we, I, I'm sure some of you do the same, set goals every year. So by the end of January, I've blown half of them because they're so lofty. Um, we set goals at work. We strive for our goals. And Jesus had goals to die for us so that we may have eternal life and we have to do nothing for it. Nothing. Yet I find myself maybe measuring myself to others. So Jesus never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside of a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did uh, one thing that usually accompanies greatness. While still a young man, uh, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. Another betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the one piece of property that he had on this earth while he was dying, his coat. 
He laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of friends. Kings, presidents, doctors, scholars, Fortune 500 companies, celebrities, armed forces, you name it, all combined, have never affected our lives as much as the powerful, life-changing manner of this one solitary life, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Tonight, we heard Cindy talk about forgiveness. That is a powerful gift when you can forgive someone. And Christ forgave us all. No excuses. Not if he was having a good day, did his hair look good? You know, did somebody sit in his seat at school? Forgiven and remembered no more. Jill talked about the free gift. We don't have to do anything for our salvation. We just have to accept it. For some people, that makes it skeptical. They'd rather pay for it. Anthony spoke about, pardon me, my writing's getting smaller, my eyes are getting worse. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, yes, about caring for his mother. He, every detail, that's what that word is, every detail, no matter what pain he was in, no matter the terrific, anguishing pain, he thought of his mother, his brother, us. He continued on the cross. Murph talked about Christ enduring for us. Dave spoke about thirst, physical thirst, our thirst for the Bible, Christ's death, the sacrifice he made. Jesus is a man of his word. It was prophesied 4,000 years before, and he followed every step exactly. He could have taken the easy way, but I've often found, personally, after a two-by-four behind the shed, um, the easy way, the process is not rewarding. There are things that you need to work for to appreciate them. And Christ gave us that. We don't have to work for it. Uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he came to earth with a purpose, a mission, to seek and save the lost, changing history, giving all the gift of eternal life, we just need to accept that gift, acknowledge we are sinners, and ask Christ into our heart. Death on the cross closes the mission on earth. It's not the end. It is the beginning of our salvation. On Sunday morning, we will celebrate the tomb being empty. We will greet each other with, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And that is the story we need to tell because that's where eternal life begins. Thank you. So I have the final um, saying of Jesus on the cross, and I'm just going to read a few scriptures around it, and then I'll share some thoughts. So I'll be reading from Luke 23, verses, uh, let's see here, 44 to uh, 46. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the mist. And when Jesus had cried out a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Um, right now, there's darkness all around Jesus as he hangs on the cross, and the light of the world is in darkness. And 
in a moment, he's going to lay down his life. So the I am life is ready to um, die. And I think for us to really grasp what's going on here, if you can forget that you know anything beyond this point, if you can just indulge me for the next five minutes and try to place yourself there and try to realize that the one who you have heard of, who you have witnessed, um, maybe you've sat under his teaching, or maybe you've never seen uh, Jesus before, and this is the first time. But Jesus calmed the storm, that even the weather obeyed him. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He performed miracles such as changing water to wine, which was his first miracle. He healed lepers. He caused the blind to see. He healed the woman who had a blood issue for over 12 years, give or take. And, um, and he did all these things. And looking up at the one who was promising the kingdom of heaven, the one who forgave sins, was at this moment ready to expire. And when we think about that, um, it's, that's an amazing thing. And it, it's really hard to grasp because as, as Jesus cried out in that loud voice, he committed or commended his um, spirit into the hands, his life into the hands of the Father. And at that moment, he gave up the ghost. And for all the people watching, um, if we just look at it from a human perspective, if anyone in, in here tonight has ever experienced someone they love or care deeply um, dying, um, I think you can start to understand a little bit about what's going on here. And, um, and that's what happened. Like, this was the last words that Jesus spoke in the body here on earth. And those last words, I believe, are the same words that Jesus had when he left the throne, when he went to, um, he left the throne and went in and entered the womb of Mary. Um, Jesus never, ever went outside of the care and the precious hands of his father. When he was in the garden and he pleaded with his father that this cup would pass. Um, just all through his life, everything he did was always in the loving care, protection, and safety of his father. And for us to grasp what's going on here, we have to stay in the realm of looking at it from the human perspective. We have to look at this like without the spiritual perspective of what's going on to grasp that Jesus came and that he had to die in order, as Sherry um, just shared with us, as he was ushering in, not, the, not necessarily the end, but a new beginning. Um, and what Jesus... Um, was doing, I think, of Hebrews 2.9, where it says that Jesus came, that he may taste death for all the brothers. And so um, what seemed to be so, like, out of control and what is happening was actually um, very much in control and very much needed to happen. And so as I read these scriptures and pondered them, uh, two things really stood out to me. Um, one 
overlaps what Sherry um, was sharing, and that was that it was finished, that there was no way that Jesus was going to uh, give up the ghost or the spirit until his work here was finished. And me personally, I believe that Jesus could never fail. He could never fail. And we may look at it from a human perspective and think he did fail, obviously he didn't, but, but he was never in a place where he was going to fail. And so when everything was finished, that's when he gave up the ghost. It was at that time. And the second thing that really stood out in pondering the scriptures was that, that Jesus um, was mocked uh, right from the beginning. Um, if you read in the different accounts of the Gospels, you'll read from Pilate to the Pharisees to just passerbyers to the criminal on the cross, the thief on the cross. Everybody mocked him saying he saved others but he can't save himself. They all mocked him saying, if you're truly the son of God, save yourself. And what stood out to me was that if Jesus gave in to that temptation, he would have never saved any of us. And I make it more personal and say, he would have never saved me. Had he given in and said, I'll show you, and called on his father, or called angels, or himself just spoke a word and came off the cross. We wouldn't be here tonight. We would be just wasting our time with another just false religious way unto God. But praise God that Jesus finished and he completed it perfectly. And then he committed, or commended, I should say, his spirit back into the hand of God. And so in, in all of this, I just want to say that, that I am in forever debted to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that he loved me this much. And the one thing that we can't grasp, and the only way we can really grasp it is in our own imagination. And that is, Jesus isn't like somebody we're visiting in a hospital who broke their leg. Like, he's bleeding. He's missing chunks out of his back. He's got a crown of thorns. He's probably beaten so bad, Isaiah tells us that he was beyond recognition. His beard was plucked out. Like, like as a guy, I get sick. I don't even want to be bothered. And yet here he is fulfilling scripture. And here he is caring for his family. Here he is saving a thief on the cross. And as Murph said, um, excruciating pain. Remember, crucifixion wasn't necessarily meant to kill right away. All, all kinds of torture are made to inflict the most pain you can endure so you don't die. They want to keep you suffering as long as they can. So for me, I just think about at any moment, Jesus could have came down off the cross. But I take comfort in knowing that that was never even a possibility. He would never do it. And so for him, I just want to say personally, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love and your greatest sacrifice. May I never, ever look upon that in anything less than what it really is. And so I hope you're blessed by everything we heard tonight. It was amazing to just hear my brothers and sisters share their personal insights with all these sayings tonight. And it was truly a blessing. Um, and I just hope everybody 
understands a little bit more what tonight is and this following this whole weekend, that how much Jesus Christ loves you. Okay? So, amen. I want to thank everybody who came today and shared with us. I'll, I'll never look at your nose the same way again. <laughs> but I'm grateful that we all could gather tonight and think about Jesus. I, I thought I'd close in kind of an unusual way. Um, men especially love stories. And if I hope you love stories. I'm, a lot of times I try to incorporate a story into my messages. And this, if you look at the title, you say, what in the world and how does this work? But I think you will see the beauty of this story as kind of summing up what we've heard tonight. True story. A new recruit went into training at Paris Island, hoping to become a Marine. He was one of those young men who seemed to be a bit out of step with the norm. And he easily became the subject of ridicule for those who enjoy picking off at some people who don't look like everybody else. In the particular barracks to which this young Marine was assigned, there was an extremely high level of meanness. The other young men did everything they could to make a joke of the new recruit and to humiliate him. One day, someone came up with a bright idea that they could scare the daylights out of this kid by dropping a disarmed hand grenade onto the floor and pretending it was about to go off. Everyone else knew about this and they were all ready to get in on the big laugh. The hand grenade was thrown into the middle of the floor. The warning was yelled, it's a live grenade, it's a live grenade, it's gonna explode any second. They fully expected that young man would get hysterical and perhaps jump out a window. Instead, this young Marine fell on the grenade, hugged it to his stomach, and, yield, and yelled to the other men in the barracks, run for your lives, run for your lives, you'll be killed if you don't. The other Marines flow, froze in stillness and shame. They realized that the one they had scorned was the one ready to lay down his life for them. And so it was with Jesus. Uh, having listened to uh, everything tonight, um, we had several references to the Old Testament. And we live in a time today, if we're paying attention, that uh, there's some chatter out there where certain uh, people behind this pulpit uh, don't want to pay attention to the Old Testament. I remember Pastor Landis saying that the uh, many times through the years, and I think you have repeated as well, brother, that uh, the New Testament, the Old Testament is unfolded in the New, and the New is enfolded or enveloped in the old. And we have to remember that, uh, and there was a reference, I think, Brother Dave, uh, a, a reference of uh, prophecy fulfilled with Christ on the cross, that before Christ came to this earth and did his mission, he was there with God the Father and the Holy Spirit to create the earth in the Old Testament. So I think we want to remember how important the Old Testament really is. And just one other thought that I wanted to share. Um, thank you all for painting this picture for us tonight. And, uh, you know, we could have a couple of thoughts we could leave here saying, uh, you know, being really happy and gleeful because of what we've learned tonight. And we could also say that, wow, I really get it. I really understand it. Well, speaking for myself, I still don't get it, I still don't understand it, and I'm leaving here humble this evening, as I think we should, and you may feel the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each individual that spoke tonight. We're thankful because each of us, every one of us here tonight, we're blessed. Each person who spent the time uh, delving into your word, thinking about what you wanted them to say, uh, praying that the Holy Spirit would give them guidance to say what it is you wanted us to hear. They were blessed because they were drawn closer to you for having done it. And Lord, we were all blessed here this evening because 
of the picture that was painted. Uh, perhaps a new perspective of Christ's last seven words here on this earth that maybe we didn't hear before. And it is our prayer, Lord, that we leave here humble tonight because we will rejoice on Sunday as we celebrate his resurrection. All because of love so great for you and for me that we cannot understand. Died for us on the cross. And so, Lord, as we leave, let us today, tonight, tomorrow, reflect on what Christ paid for us. In his precious name we ask it.